this message will not be in a form that I guess you probably associate with most, most sermons. Or I'm going to do a whole lot of reading. And while our, our carnal self can quickly tire of that, we want to hear something, something new or something uh, to keep us engaged, I'm going to ask each of you to Try to give me your best attention. Because we're going to dwell this morning on the suffering of our Lord. That last song, Man of Sorrows. What a name. I want to start by reading, I'm going to just jump through quite a few without any great context or comment, but on some Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament that point to what the Lord was going to do and what He was going to go through. So I'm going to start in Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Jump down to verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. Down to verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Psalm 69. Verse 4. First clause. They that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. Verse 9. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Down to 19. Thou hast known my reproach, and my shame, and my dishonor, Mine adversaries all before thee. 
Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Turn with me to Isaiah. Chapter 50. Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7. I gave my back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. I know I shall not be ashamed. And over to 52. Verse 14. As many were astonished, or astonished at thee, his visage, or his face, was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. <coughs> Chapter 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant and a root out of a dry ground. He shall have no form or comeliness. Comeliness means splendor or beauty, majesty. He shall have no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne, means to lift, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, or it was the Lord's will, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servants justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong. But he shall, he, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So those psalms are written about a thousand years before Jesus would be born in a manger. Isaiah here is a couple, three hundred years, some odd years after that. These are what the Lord inspired men to pen how His anointed one would come and what He would do and what He would have to go through and fulfill for each of you. For each of His children. And so this morning, we're going to look at what the Scripture says our Lord went through. I don't know how long this will take. If it gets too far past 12, I'll shut down and we'll come back after lunch. But I'm going to go slowly and I want y'all to think carefully about the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. Start in Matthew chapter 26. We're picking up right after the Last Supper. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. They've left Jerusalem and gone to the Mount of Olives. And there they go into a garden, which was one of Jesus' preferred places to pray. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them, being the eleven disciples that are still with him. Judas has already left. Unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So he split them into two groups. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He goes a little farther forward. So I want you to be painting these pictures in your head. If you're in this garden, it's night. You've got the eleven following Jesus. Three he pulls forward with him a little farther, and the rest stay behind. And he began to be sorrowful. He commenced to be sorrowful. Sorrowful there means to be distressed, to be sad, to grieve. But not just sorrowful, but very heavy. Strong says that's to be distressed in mind. 
full of heaviness. And then he saith unto them, the three that he brought with him, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. Different words here. And these mean grieved all around. Intensely. And he says, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Pending task was near at hand, and the weight of it was already pressing on your Lord. Sorrowful, very heavy, exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. I don't think there's any hyperbole or exaggeration in the Lord's statement. And he asked his disciple, Terry, here, wait here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. Can you see your Lord laying with his face in the dirt in Gethsemane? Having this weight borne upon him, praying. Oh, my Father. And that word, oh, there is literally Father. It's Father. My Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Turn to Mark's account. It's 14. I'm going to be flipping through all the Gospels frequently, so if you can get your fingers kind of tied in there, it'll help. Mark 14, they came to a place which is called Gethsemane. This is verse 32. He saith to the disciples, sit here while I pray. He taketh Peter, James, and John, and began to be, we get a new description, sore amazed, to be astonished utterly, to be affrighted, I think the closest thing that I can think of, and this may not be the best way to describe it, but how you and I get when we just go into shock. We're just overwhelmed. He began to be sore amazed and very heavy and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Unto death. Carry ye here and watch. These are his friends. He said, I call you not my servants, but you're my friends. And he's asking them to tarry and watch while he is going through this great trial and affliction. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, which was Father, 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 all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. He came to do the Father's will. And he was obedient unto it, even unto death. Go to Luke 22. 
39. Luke 22, 39. Came out and went as he was wont to do to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Sorrowful, very heavy, exceeding sorrowful unto death, amazed. The magnitude of the weight that he's under is so much that the Lord sent an angel minister unto him. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him to invigorate him, to give him that which he needed. An angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, agony, a struggle, anguish, he prayed the more earnestly. That more earnestly could be translated to fervently. We have many admonitions for our fervent prayer. I've never prayed like this. Lord, help me. He prayed more earnestly without ceasing. And his sweat was as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Don't get confused by this and in your head visualize him bleeding out of his pores. As it were, it's, it's a simile language. It's like. It says like he was sweating so badly it was like his drops or their, it translates to a clot. A clot of blood. That's what it looked like. He had these big sweats of drop. That was the pressure and strain and agony that was on him. That was like he was being pressed out. It was coming out in the perspiration on his face. Just rolling drops falling to the ground. As it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And they were sleeping for sorrow. They didn't understand what was going on. He told them numerous times that this was what was coming and they still didn't understand. Go back to Mark. Mark 14. We'll pick up again in 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? This was really Peter's first betrayal of the Lord. He had promised, I won't, I won't leave you. But his Lord had asked him to be there and to watch during this trial. And he had. Could not watch one hour. Watch ye, he asked him again. And pray lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit is the Spirit truly is ready. But the flesh 
is weak. And he went away and prayed the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. The Lord is already on his own. He's not being supported or or uplifted by any man. But their eyes were heavy. They were tired. It's late at night. Neither wist or knew. Neither knew they what to answer him. And he cometh to the third time and saith to them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Let's go to John chapter 18 to see that account of the betrayal. We'll just read verse 1 and go from there. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth with His disciples over the brook Sidron, or as a garden, into which He entered and with His disciples. So everything we've read thus far happens right after that. And Judas also, which betrayed Him, knew the place, for Jesus often resorted thither with His disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Often when I'm reading John's account, particularly since it doesn't focus on his prayer, I tend to forget how the Lord was just a moment ago. And I see him there, cool and calm as a cucumber, with no strain or anything on him. He has already begun this process of feeling the weight what he's going to go through. And yet, during that, he is still going to stand up to meet this crowd and he's going to protect his disciples. That's why he's asking the question, Whom seek ye? Now he's God. And he's got such power that when they answered who they were seeking, Jesus of Nazareth, he said unto them, I am. God described Himself in the Old Testament to Moses, right? I am that I am the eternal God. And Judas also, which betrayed Him, stood with them. And as soon as He said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. He had more power than they could possibly imagine. So everything going forward is a demonstration of the restraint that he held over himself not to destroy those that are about to arrest him and abuse him and ultimately crucify him. No man could take his life. This whole process was voluntary. Then he then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He's gotten them to state their purpose twice. Jesus answered and said, I have told you that I am. 
If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. And he did that, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, for the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Think about that. They have laid hands and bound ropes or chains or fetters, whatever. They bound him. This is the Word. This is the second person in the Trinity who was in the beginning with God and was God and everything that was made was made by Him. And He's allowing Himself to be bound by His creation, by wicked and vile hands. and bound him. Think about old Samson. He was a strong man. The Lord was with him. They tried to bound him with cords. He just kind of flexed his muscles and they pop off. Right? Let the wild Gadarean. God was possessed with a demon out of him. A legion of demons out of his mind. They tried to bind him with chains and he burst them asunder. And here you have someone of infinite power submitting to the humiliation of being wrongfully arrested and to be held with some puny puny forms of bonds. That's a huge condescension that he is permitting upon himself you. Verse 13, and they led him away to Ananias first. We don't see much about what happens at Ananias' house. At 24 down below, it's like Ananias sent him to be bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. Ananias was Caiaphas' father-in-law. They led him away to Ananias, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. All right, so I'm going to jump down to 19. I'm not too worried about Peter today. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples... And of his doctrine. And Jesus answered him. I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple. Whether the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. What I have said unto them. Behold. They know what I have said. Verse 22. 
And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? This guy just slapped the Lord of glory. My best reconstruction of the timeline. I think this is the first blow that landed. Your Lord was smitten for you. He didn't read it, but when he rebuked Peter for drawing a sword, he said, don't you know that I could have my father send a legion of angels? And we know from the Old Testament that one angel had enough firepower and his might to wipe out uh, old Sennacherib's army. 185,000 men in one night. It's enough firepower to destroy the whole planet, every human. And he is allowing this officer to strike him. Jesus answered him, said, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Ananias had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. So I want to... Let's go over to Matthew. Look at Matthew 26. We'll see how he is treated while he is with the high priest and the inner council. I use that term inner just to describe there is a smaller group that's going to meet in this initial interrogation. And then after they're completed, they will gather the whole council. Matthew 26, and I'm going to pick up at verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. So it's the middle of the night, and they're looking for volunteers to tell, give false testimony so they can justify their desire to kill him. But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At last came two false witnesses, and they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? And what is it thee which the... And what is it which these witnesses, these witness against thee? Excuse me. But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered unto him and said, I adjure thee by the living God that thou should tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Verse 67. Then did they spit in his face. 
Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. To buffet means to hit with the knuckles. They punched him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. They're spitting in his face. They're punching him. They're slapping him. Saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now they're mocking him. You claim to be the Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to have all of us punching you at the same time. You tell us who hit you. (coughs) Mark 14 and 65 reveals that while they're doing that, they'd also covered his head. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy! This is your scene as he's before this smaller portion of the council. They've declared him guilty of death and they begin to wail on him, spitting in his face and then covering his head. And while his eyes are closed, punching him, slapping him, saying, Come on, your prophet, tell us which one of us hits you. Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. How's that? Even those that are in the lowest of that society as servants were slapping the King of Glory. Let's go back to Luke 22. 63. 22.63 And the men that held Jesus mocked Him to jeer, to deride, and smote Him. That smote's a different smote. That one's to flay, to scourge, to thrash. Ever seen a video of a gang all going up on one guy? That's a thrashing. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy! Who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. The Lord of glory has allowed himself to be bound, to be carried before this court and for telling the truth that he is the Christ and they shall see him coming in power they've declared him worthy of death and they're now pummeling him spitting upon him, abusing him, mocking him deriding him As soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, 
turn to it, but Mark 15.1 uses the word the whole council. And they asked him again, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of power of God. And then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need have we of further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. Let's go to John 18. Pick up a couple verses, 28 through 32. Then led, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas, high priest, unto the hall of judgment. That's the Roman hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, that they might eat the Passover. So they couldn't go into this Gentile court building. Um, so they stayed outside. Then Pilate went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Basically, the answer is, doesn't really matter. We wouldn't have brought him if he wasn't worthy of being punished. Then Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. And the Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death, the saying of Jesus, that, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. So they want him to be crucified. Let's go back to Luke and read on. Luke 23 and 2. And they began to accuse him before Pilate. We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and saying, Thou sayest it. And said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce. He stirreth up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he heard that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. This is a typical politician. If you can pass the buck to someone else, pass it on. So he heard that Jesus was from Galilee. Herod was over the region of Galilee. And so he sent him over them. Y'all go deal with him with Herod. Herod, who happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. So he's gone from being seen by Ananias, the high priest's father-in-law, before him, and sent to the high priest and his inner circle, and sent to the whole council, and then to Pilate. And now he's being sent before Herod. And Herod saw Jesus, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. He said, all right, the carnival's come to town. 
For he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he had hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Earlier, Herod used to think he was John the Baptist, who had been resurrected, who Herod had had beheaded. But here he is, he's happy to see him, he's hoping to to see a miracle. You know, it's like a sideshow. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him, fiercely accused our Lord. And Herod, with his men, men of war, set him, Jesus, at naught. To be set at naught means to be held in contempt, to be despised, to be least esteemed. They made a mockery of it. It also mean they physically took off his clothes. They set him at naught, mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe to mock, to jeer, to deride. Arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. Because what are they accusing him? They're accusing him of being a king of Jews. So say, let's put you up like a mock king and make fun of you. They arrayed him or put a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So he got no satisfaction out of his desires to see Jesus didn't pronounce anything against him he just mocked him and sent him back to Pilate okay and they became buddies after that verse 13 and Pilate when he called and when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said unto them ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people and behold I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accused, accused him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. He hasn't done anything, but I'll chastise him and let him go. For of necessity he must release one of them one unto them at the feast. That was their custom. And they cried out all at once, Away with this man, release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. We don't want this man. You want to talk about being rejected? Let's lose a silly illustration. Y'all ever been playing schoolyard, got picking teams, getting kicked for picked for kickball, right? Comes down to you and the last kid, and you know he can't run or kick or anything. He can barely, you know, see. Just the most infirm person you can imagine against you, and they choose that guy. You were rejected. The Lord of glory here is rejected, and they chose a murderer. A seditionist, one who causes riots and rebellion. was rejected. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, he's declared him innocent twice, nothing done worthy of death, willing to release Jesus, spake unto them again, try it again, but they cried saying, crucify, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, why? What evil hath he done? 
I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And made a tumult, a riot, declaring that he must be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. So he gave in. See over in John chapter 19, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He's already been bearing the weight of what's to come. He's been mocked. He's been punched. He's been slapped. He's been spit in the face. And now he's going to be taken out and whipped. Scourge means to be lashed. And the soldiers plated or braided a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. What does that face look like now? It's wearing that crown, wearing that robe. The body that's so beaten and bruised and disfigured. Because his visage is going to be marred more than any other man. Verse 3, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Physical abuse continues along with the mocking and derision. Back to Matthew 27. Picking up verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor, these are Pilate's men, took Jesus into the common hall, the big assembly room, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. Hey, y'all, we're going to have fun with this dude. Come on, we're going to make a big scene of it. And they plated a crown of thorns and they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him mocking him saying hail king of the Jews and again they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head Back to John. Continue. John 19. Verse 
Verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again. Remember, the Jews are still outside. They weren't watching this. This is going on inside the common hall. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. about derision the physical abuse the mocking by the soldiers now he's becoming a public spectacle he's still wearing the garb the mocking trappings of royalty this false crown and reed and robe as his body is bruised and bleeding and covered with other men's spit now he's being presented. When the chief priest, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out. All right, have pity. That's enough. Say that. We've gone too far. When they saw him, in that humiliating position, they cried out, Crucify! Crucify! To crucify literally means to be impaled upon the cross. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that, he was the more afraid. Politicians have a pretty good sense about trying not to pick on people with more power. Right? Those are the ones you cozy up to. He was afraid. He went in again into the judgment hall. Jesus comes inside with him and says unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate, saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin." And from thenceforth the Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. They're accusing him of being disloyal to the sovereign of his nation. That kind of talk will rapidly get somebody killed. Or, you know, at least lose your station and privileged position. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. 
and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. So this pavement is somewhere outside where the Jews could be there, presenting them again. Behold your king. So he's publicly mocked the second time. Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Chief priest. Supposed to be the most knowledgeable, faithful servant of God in this nation. We have no king but Caesar. Rejected. Then delivered he him therefore to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Let's start by looking at Luke. See the details of the suffering of our Lord and the crucifixion. Luke 23:24. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, and whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon Simon, a Cyrenian, Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamenting him. We'll jump on down to 32. And there were also two other malefactors, or those who were uh, criminals, word we use today, led with him to be put to death. Total of three. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Y'all just wait. You're going to get it. Avenge me. You better not do that. This would have been all our reactions, right? You don't understand. I've got more power than you. This is going to really not work out for you. You better stop. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Let's look to Mark chapter 15. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put on his own clothes and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which being interpreted the place of a skull. Calvary, Golgotha, they all mean a skull. Place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. In another account, the soldiers would offer him vinegar 
and mixed with gall. Um, so I think these are two different things. One, the wine mixed with myrrh was most likely like an antidine of someone showing mercy that he would not feel the pain. Um, but he chose not to receive it. He didn't take something that would dull his senses. The physical pain that he is about to go through. But he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. As far as your timing... Here where it says the third hour, over in John, it says about the sixth hour, sometime between the third and sixth hour. I don't exactly know. Don't get too hung up on it. They crucified him. It was the morning. And the superscription of his accusation was written over. So they put a charge. I mean, the other two, I don't know if they had anything written, but it could have said thief, robber. Barabbas could have said murderer, rioter. Here's his charge. The king of the Jews. And with him they crucify two thieves, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Let's go over to Matthew. Matthew 27. Starting 31, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put on his own raven on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mixed with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. Okay. And we know from later the reaction from Thomas that they, where they crucified him was through his hands and through his feet. Imagine the equivalent of a railroad spike being driven into your body as you're on this board or pole and then being lifted up to hang there. Go back to John 19. delivered him therefore to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is in Hebrew Golgotha and where they crucified him and two other with him on either side and Jesus in the midst and Pilate wrote a title and put on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews this title then was read then read many of the Jews, for the place of Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, or near the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek 
and Latin, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So even in that, he's being mocked. Not only that, Pilate's also mocking the Jews because they get upset. They say, no, right? Not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. He's putting them in their place too. We're the Romans. This is what we did to your king. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. So they got four soldiers there. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it might be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. You're seeing this scene in your head right now. It's hard to imagine a way the Lord could have allowed Himself to be humiliated any further. His bruised and battered body, bleeding from untold cuts and sores, from whippings, punchings, slappings, spit. And now he's hanging naked. In the Old Testament, there's often expressions about Israel that her nakedness would be seen and it would be to her shame. It was a shame. He's allowing himself to be shamed. And not only that, this scene about the soldiers... These men that He has created as the Creator God are now trying to take physical objects from Him and claim them as their own. And being civil, rather than fighting over the last piece that they couldn't easily divide, they start gambling for it. While He's hanging there. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, which is how John referred to himself, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son, and then to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his home. The Lord provided for Mary. Even at this dark and painful time when you and I would have just been focused on ourself. Even there, He is providing for the needs of His own. So to live
Luke 23. We'll see what happens. Luke 23, verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So in your scene in your head, as he's hanging there, the Lord is going to obscure the sun. And there's going to be darkness for about three hours. He said the sun was darkened. That word darkened there means obscured. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. I know that veil represents the separation between man and God. That divide that we couldn't breach. We had no right. But that Christ by His body created a way through. That's what that tear in the veil is about. That Christ has made the way. That I'm the way. I'm the truth. He's made the way through to the Father. Let's go to Matthew 27, 46. Sorry, 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That has to be one of the most haunting passages in all of Scripture. That the Word, the Son, who all has, for eternity, has had this close, perfect union with the Father, now has to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that say, This man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to drink. And the rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded. He allowed. He yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks were rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Over to Mark 
15. And at the ninth hour, Jesus with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it saying, Behold, he called for Elias. And one ran and, be- and filled a sponge full of vinegar, put it on a reed, and gave it to drink. And saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come down and take him down. Well, let's see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And again in Luke. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And finally, let's look at John. John 19 and 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, that reed earlier, and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I'm not going to make any further comments other than I want to read Isaiah 53 to you one more time. And I want you all to listen because the Scripture tells us what all that means and what it was for. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That acquainted means to know. He knows grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised. We esteemed Him not. Did not hold Him up. Did not recognize Him. Did not see Him for His truth. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken 
smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare His generation? For He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was He stricken. And He made His grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death. Because He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in His mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. The pleasure of the Lord. The will of the Lord. The will of the Lord prospered in His hand. That's what He was submitting to. To do the Lord's pleasure. And it did prosper. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. When he said it was finished, he meant just that. There was nothing left to be done. It was not left to chance or condition. He saw his work. The trial that he was going to have to go through, he knew all of it beforehand. And he was satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, all of his children, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. My request for you this week is that you dwell, meditate, chew on, and think about the magnitude of the sacrifice and the suffering that your Lord went through for you. None of this is cheap. None of this was easy. This is as real as it gets. Thank you all for your time and attention.